0: Good evening welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kendall tonight. And our topic is The Nexus Part 5, Meet Me in Naphtali. And I hope by the time we're done you have at least some clue of why I would title it that. We've been looking at the Nexus, which is the connection between the divine and the human that happened in Jesus. And uh, my original plan was to have this episode, this is also, I must say, our 300th episode of this Bible study very exciting. I have a balloon here. Thank you very much. And um, so we were planning on having this 300th episode right after Easter, uh, when this topic would have fit even better, but my repentance was so effective that I got sick for, for quite some time. And, um, <laughs> and that's the truth. So um, So uh, now I feel all better. And we're ready to go, and it's very fun that we're having it on this auspicious date, 5-3-17 and all that. And um, <clears throat> talking about the Lord, so let's, let's get into this uh, a little bit here. There's a curious thing after the resurrection, as you may remember, where Jesus says to his disciples that he, uh, he sends this message through the women that, uh, to meet him in Galilee. You know, I'm going before you into Galilee, meet me there. Now, the whole idea of his coming in this world was to be more present with us. Why do you have to travel north, you know, on this big journey to meet? What? I thought, you know, the whole point was you just came here. Why do I have to meet you and go there and to complicate it? And there is no plot so thick that it cannot be thickened by another passage in Scripture. Uh, This is the teaching in Matthew and Mark is go meet in Galilee. You have to go, you know, it's a kind of a command, you know, this this is where I'll meet you. But in Luke and Acts, it says expressly that they were commanded to stay in Jerusalem. Don't go to Galilee, you know, stay here and you'll get the Holy Spirit here. But in the other Gospels, you have to go to get, you know, so it's one of those things. I think it's a little bit like the burning bush. Moses goes by the burning bush, and it just attracts his attention because you go, what is that? It's burning, but it's not consumed. So much of Scripture, I think, is that way. It's baffling. You know, how could you say, go to Galilee, but stay here? You know, what's going on there? So, I will not completely satisfy you on that topic this evening, but at least I think we'll talk some about going to Galilee and and what that part of it is. So if you'd like to join me for that journey, let's uh, open with a prayer, shall we, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You bowed the heavens and came down into this world, were resurrected with your whole body. We pray for your presence among us, Lord God, as we open the pages of your word, seeking to understand you. What did you mean by telling your disciples to go into Galilee? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Very nice to be with you all. Lovely to see people here and some new people. It so always thrills me. And uh, sending love to those of you out there online and on the phone and getting this podcast. It's just a real pleasure to be here. Be back with you. All right, let's let's look at where these passages are, shall we? Let's start in Matthew in the New Testament, the first of the Gospels there. Matthew 26. And um, this particular chapter is right before the crucifixion. And the, the Last Supper has just finished. Let's set the scene here with verse, picking up at verse 30 there.
1: And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee.
0: Oh, after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So while he's still alive in this world. Right on the eve of the the crucifixion, you know, it was the Last Supper and everything. But he says, you know, tonight is going to be, you know, they're going to strike the shepherd. The sheep will be scattered and all that. But after I've risen again, I will go before you to Galilee or into Galilee. All right. And uh, so now 27 is all about the crucifixion. Let's go to 28. And read the uh, Easter morning story here, starting at the first verse.
1: Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Mm. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay.
0: And here's the part that's critical for tonight.
1: And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you.
0: Okay, let's, let's look at that a little bit. So uh, the women who had come, they see an angel, and the angel says, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going before you into Galilee, going before you. It's so interesting. The Lord said that twice, you know, like uh, right on the eve of physical death, he says he's going somewhere in the physical world. You know, he, He's going before you into Galilee. And then it adds a detail here that wasn't in the last one. That we, we saw that in chapter 26, didn't we? I will go before you into Galilee. But what does it say here at the end of verse 7, in addition to going before them into Galilee?
1: Um, there you will see him. Yes. I there, have told you.
0: Yes. There you will. So there you will see him. It seems like an important detail that he's going before you into Galilee and you will see him there. Now, it's kind of a fun story. Let's read on.
1: So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word.
0: Uh, just a fun little detail I can't resist putting in here is that at the, uh, there's a shorter ending of Mark, another gospel, and there's a longer ending of Mark. And in the shorter ending of Mark, at this particular parallel point, They just were trembling and afraid, and they didn't tell anybody. And the gospel comes to an end. Bang. (laughs) It's kind of fun. And so I think when Matthew and Luke were writing the gospel, they said, Well, you've got to do better than that. I mean, you know, they can't be afraid and not not tell anybody. Uh, But here they feel fear and great joy, and they ran to bring the disciples' word. And as they went, what happened?
1: And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice.
0: So isn't this weird? He said to the women, take a message to the disciples. I'm going before them into Galilee. They will see me there. And yet as they're going to do part A of that, he meets them, you know, not in Galilee. Right? Still in Jerusalem. He meets them in Jerusalem. Go on.
1: So they came and and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me.
0: There it is again. So don't be afraid. The angel said the same thing, didn't he? Don't be afraid. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then reiterates the charge. So the angel said it the first time. Jesus said it the second time. Same instructions. So you know the angel's acting on good authority. And tell them to go into Galilee... Now this time it doesn't repeat, I'm going before them into Galilee, but he just says, go to Galilee, and, but repeats that detail, that there they will see me. You know, if you want to see the Lord, you've got to leave here and go up north back to Galilee. Okay, and then skip down here to verse 16, and what happens?
1: then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. I
0: see. So they did, they did as they were instructed. And where did they go exactly?
1: To the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them.
0: Oh. To the mountain. Now, was there any talk about a mountain? I didn't hear anything. It just said go to Galilee. It didn't say a mountain. And what, what was that again? Say to, to the, to the mountain. The mountain.
1: To the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them.
0: Yeah. There was a mountain, there was a particular mountain that Jesus had appointed for them. They apparently knew, I guess they knew what it was. They knew to go there, right? So there was a particular mountain in Galilee that was set aside or appointed for this purpose. And they went up there to Galilee. And what happened in verse 17?
1: When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Mm. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all things that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age
0: even to the end of the age or in the old king james the end of the world and um so This brief little story at the end, they go to Galilee, they go to this mountain that's appointed for them, and then they see him. Some worship him. They worship him, but some doubt. You know, they feel unsure about it. And then it's interesting, it says, and Jesus came. So they're seeing him, but is he at a little distance or something? But somehow it seems like he comes forward, and then he speaks to him, and he says these powerful words at the end of Matthew that Swedenborg relies on very heavily for his view of the divine and divine human, the one God of heaven and earth and all that, that all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. And I can see his point. As some of you may have heard me say before, if Jesus says all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth, if there are three separate gods with three separate wills and three separate understandings or something, then what he's saying is the Father has no power in heaven, the Holy Spirit has no power in heaven, the Father has no power on earth, the Holy Spirit has no power on earth, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So the way Swedenborg understands that is that Jesus is the embodiment of all those three. That's why when he says, go and teach all the nations, baptizing them, it's not in the names as a plural. It's one name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you look in Acts, and no one's ever baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all baptized in the name of Jesus, because I think that is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've done other Bible studies on that before and teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's a very powerful moment where they're meeting the Lord, and they get this kind of charge, and there's the end of the Gospel of Matthew. So this was very, very curious to me. And uh, let's just look real quick. If you turn to the right and go to Luke, to chapter 24 at the end, which is also a great chapter that I love so much. And uh, just look at verse 49 at the end of what Jesus charges them in this gospel where he meets with them behind closed doors and everything.
1: Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high.
0: That's right. So they are told to stay there in Jerusalem until they receive this power and turn to the right and go through John to Acts. And you look in Acts chapter 1 uh, and look at verse 4 there.
1: And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Yeah, that's
0: a command. Don't depart from Jerusalem.
1: But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now.
0: And as you know, then the story unfolds into the day of Pentecost. And sure enough, you know, the Holy Spirit comes down in a big way. Thousands of people uh, have that experience. And so it seems very important that this in Luke and Acts, you have to stay in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come and all that. So it's one of those niggling things like why in another gospel are they told to go to Galilee and there the Lord will meet them on this mountain that's appointed. All right, so let's thicken the plot a little more, shall we? Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 30 is where I'd like to go here. Now, let me tell you the story a little bit, because uh, I guess the first thing I need to say about this is that Galilee as we'll see in some of these passages, is Naphtali. The, t- the title of tonight was Meet Me in Naphtali, not Meet Me in Galilee. You know, well, why would I say that? Well, there were 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Israel, and they divided up the land in these 12 tribes. And up around the Sea of Galilee was, was Naphtali. It was up toward the north like that. And so Galilee equals Naphtali. And then to the west of Naphtali was Zebulun and to the west of Zebulun was Asher, and so on. And how did Naphtali come about? Uh, there were these, there's this dramatic story that's told at some length in Genesis about these two wives of Jacob's, uh, Leah, who's weak-eyed, and he marries her first, but she was sort of a fallback plant, like he wasn't too thrilled about that because he was in love with Rachel. And so he's loving Rachel, but he gets Leah. So he works another seven years, and he gets Rachel. And, um, and Rachel's beautiful. And then Leah starts having babies like there's no tomorrow, and Rachel doesn't have any children. And so that's sort of upsetting. And then Rachel wants to have children, so she gives her handmaid to Jacob. And her handmaid named Bilha has these two children. And that happens like this. Let's look at verses... Um, 7 and 8, in Genesis chapter 30.
1: And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son.
0: Yes, she just had a son named Dan in the, in the previous verse. That's right. And what does Rachel say about Naphtali?
1: Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his, his name Naphtali.
0: Naphtali means wrestling meet me in wrestling meet me in the struggle there's a struggle between two sisters one is the earthly self one is the spiritual self and we know from many scriptures particularly romans 7 but other places where these two selves are opposed to each other they're they're in a battle with each other and it's not that the spiritual one starts the trouble the, spirit, the spiritual side does not do preemptive strikes or anything like that. It's the earthly side that starts to attack the spiritual side, and then the spiritual side reacts. And so there's a battle going on between the spiritual and the earthly. Can anyone relate to that? The struggle between the inner and the outer. Meet me in the struggle. Meet me in Naphtali. And, uh, and Rachel prevails. Which one was Rachel. She was the beautiful one. She was the spiritual one. She wins. And so Naphtali both means that struggle, but also means uh, victory. Uh, So victory after struggle. Go through the struggle, experience victory, and meet me up there in Naphtali. I think that's part of what's going on in this story. Okay, uh, let's look at 49. Genesis chapter 49, verse 21. And this is where Jacob calls all his sons together, and he gives them these rather strange blessings. Some of them are long and beautiful, and some of them are very short and cryptic. And what does Naphtali get? One of the shortest ones in the book, uh, in verse 21.
1: Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words.
0: That's it. A deer let loose. What is that? after lies a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Swedenborg says that the meaning of this, the deer has to do, all animals have to do with the, um, our feelings, our emotions, things like that. And the deer, can you picture, is, is there a really fundamentally freer creature then a deer sort of leaping through the, I mean, you've seen them. It's amazing how they can spring and, and leap and just seemingly infinite energy. And so this is what, what was the wording again?
1: Naphtali is a deer let loose,
0: let loose. Huh? So something was bound, struggle, right? Struggle. But then, when the inner self becomes spiritual, when when the, when the spiritual gets the upper hand, the outer self uh, bounds in freedom, like a deer let loose. Like whoa, you know, when that when that battle is won, and when something heavenly comes down from the inner self into the outer self, we too are like a deer let loose, and instead of using all those other words. Cussing like a sailor in my own case, or whatever it might be, you start to use beautiful words instead. You know, that's nice. So, uh, Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Okay, I wanted to look at that. I also wish to look at Joshua chapter 19. Okay, so turn to the right and you go through Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all that. Get to Joshua. Chapter 19, this is about the territory that's given to them all. Uh, there might be some proper names in here, my dear reader. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but we can, we can skip stuff as needed. Okay, if you start at verse uh, 32 in Joshua 19, <clears throat> this is the territory of Naphtaliad. I, I don't expect you to have a map of the Holy Land in your mind, but if you picture the basic thing, You've got that sort of coastline that gently slopes down uh, south and west, kind of like this. And then you've got that River Jordan that goes just right down the center of the, the center of that territory, and you've got this little lake, and then you've got the Sea of Galilee, and then it goes down to the Dead Sea down here, you know. And so it's all flowing down out of the northern mountains. And um, so, let's read this. 1932. Yes. Okay.
1: The sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, for the children of Naphtali according to their families. And their border began at Heleph, enclosing the territory from the Terebinth tree in Zaanim. That's pretty
0: cool, isn't it? (laughs) Like they're actually marking thing by a tree. You know, there's a tree up there, okay?
1: I think Zayanim. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) Very good. Um
0: So, I don't mean to torture you. We, we can, <laughs> I'll you do know. what I can. All um,
1: right. Okay, so enclosing the territory from the terebinth tree in Zananim, Ademah Nekeb, and Jabneel, as far as Lakum.
0: Yes, if you go past that, you've gone too far. Okay, go on.
1: It ended at the Jordan.
0: Ah, at the Jordan. Okay, so one of the boundaries <clears throat> was the Jordan River. So it was all west of the Jordan, up in that northern part around the Sea of Galilee. Go on.
1: From Heleph, the border extended westward to Asnath, Asnath to Bor, and went out from there toward Hukok. It adjoined Zebulun on the south side. Oh,
0: Zebulun. So Zebulun was to the south. So this was another tribe of Israel. So there's Zebulun and there's Naphtali. So that figures into our story. Remember that.
1: Um, It adjoined Zebulun on the south side and Asher on the west side.
0: Asher's on the west. So you've got mountain country to the west of that Sea of Galilee, but then it goes down to the coast, and that's Asher. Okay?
1: And ended at Judah by the Jordan toward the sunrise.
0: Uh Aha. And then we probably don't need to read these stories, but look in verse these city names, but look at verse 37 there. What's that first name there? Kadesh. Yes, Kadesh, and uh, and all these different 19 cities, and this is the inheritance of the children of Naphtali. Okay, and look at uh, chapter 20, <clears throat> and look at verses 1 and 2 there.
1: The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge.
0: Oh, we haven't had any cities of refuge in the news, have we? Cities of refuge. So appoint cities of refuge. Okay.
1: Of which I spoke to you through Moses.
0: Let's look at this brief description in verse 3.
1: That the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood.
0: Yeah, that's right. So if you've committed a wrong, but you didn't mean it, you can go to these cities and it tells you what to do, you know, and if you're pursued and everything, so you can be safe there. And they then announced these six cities and look in verse 7. The first one, where is it?
1: So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali.
0: In the mountains of Naphtali. Go meet me in the mountains of Galilee, a city of refuge. The first one mentioned. City of Refuge is up there in the mountains of Galilee. So that seems, in the mountains of Naphtali, seems important there. And then they list them, and it's interesting the way they tell them where, in the map, you have one high on the left, and then the middle on the left, and then down in the bottom on the left, and then you go the bottom of the right, and the middle of the right, and then up on the right. You know, it tells them in this big sort of circuit of these six... uh, Cities on either side of the Jordan, three on the left, uh, three to the west of the Jordan, and three to the east. Okay, so file that in your capacious brains, dear friends. And let's turn to the right to Judges chapter 4. Uh, mm. Okay, now there was a battle, and this uh, evil person. Uh, Sisera, who was one of the Canaanites from the land, came to attack the children of Israel and was mightily oppressing them. And Deborah, in verse 4, there's a prophetess. She was judging Israel at that time. And uh, let's read verse 6.
1: Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali.
0: Oh, That's our city of refuge. So this is where he comes from. Right?
1: And said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. Uh
0: Aha. It's weird. There were 12 tribes, but actually 13 or 14, depending on how you count. But uh, only two were being deployed in this battle. Just Naphtali. And Zebulun. They were the only ones going to fight Sisera. And so uh, I love this verse 8. Look at that. What does Barak say to her?
1: And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go.
0: That's right. And she says, I, I will go with you, but it won't be for your honor. Uh, you know, and so they go. And Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Okay, and then look at verse
1: 10. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him.
0: That's right, and they fought them, and then uh, they were victorious, and uh, in chapter 5, Deborah and Barak sang a song. This is known as the Song of Deborah in chapter 5. And uh, look at what she says here. Where is this down in five verse 18. What does she say?
1: Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also, on the heights of the battlefield.
0: On the yeah. <clears throat> so they risked their lives. Zebulun and Naphtali. Risk their, the people of those tribes risked their lives in this battle. And where were they again? The end of the verse.
1: Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield.
0: On the heights. In the old King James, the high places. Go meet me on a mountain in Naphtali. There's a city of refuge up there. A battle takes place against evil, and they're victorious. And Deborah praises them because they risked their lives unto death and they were successful on these high places. Meet me in a mountain in Naphtali, in Galilee. Okay. now check this out. Uh, Turn to the right. Go through first and second Samuel. First Kings go to second Kings chapter 15. Here's some some more, you know, I just thought our dear reader needed some more work. uh, uh, Verse
1: 29.
0: 29. This is the Assyrian capture of the northern kingdom.
1: In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Ejon, Abel-beth-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Makkah, I assume, Mahakad, something like that.
1: Genoa, Kadesh. Ah, there's Kadesh. Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee. Ah,
0: Galilee. Galilee. And where were they?
1: All the land of Naphtali.
0: All, see, Galilee equals Naphtali. All the land of Naphtali and carried them captive to Assyria. That was not good. Okay. Turn to the right and go through the Psalms and you'll get in time to Isaiah. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 9. And there's a prophecy here in Isaiah 9. Now this is all plenty baffling, is it not? And there are more loose ends and more thickened plots than we can ever unthicken. But let's have a look here, see what we can see. So 9 verse 1. Now this is the kind of verse, I don't know, some of you know the Bible very well, This is the kind of verse that I've, for most of my life, I've been unfamiliar with, and I would just think, what? I don't know what's going on in there. So let's read this first verse.
1: Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Okay,
0: so first he lightly esteemed, or in the old King James, afflicted. He first lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Zebulun, Naphtali, side by side, now we're in the prophets, we're in a prophecy, there's going to be Zebulun, there's going to be Naphtali, and then what happened?
1: And afterward, more heavily oppressed her, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles.
0: Galilee of the Gentiles. In Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, Zebulun, Naphtali, in Galilee of the Gentiles next verse might be more familiar to you.
1: The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Mm. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined.
0: That's right. And let's just skip down to verse 6.
1: For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of david and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this
0: now i'm curious good friends i don't know if i can get my point across but It intrigues me a great deal that in this passage in question in the end of Matthew 28, where we're trying to figure out what this appointed mountain is in Galilee, immediately after that statement, there's one of the most powerful assertions of the oneness of God in this all power has been given to me in heaven on earth and go teach all the nations. You know, it's about the one God. Right after we had all this stuff here in Isaiah 9, Zebulun, Naphtali, weird stuff about the sea and whatever in Galilee of the Gentiles, then a very powerful statement to me, the fact that the son is going to be born and his name is going to be the everlasting father, it's kind of hard to get around from a Trinitarian perspective. You know, I'm not saying there is no Trinity, but Swedenborg says there is no Trinity of separate people who who are kind of working together or share a certain mind or purpose. No, it, it it was a grievous mistake then, if that were the case, to say a child is born and his name is the Everlasting Father. What's going on with that? But if that was the physical embodiment of the flesh of the Father, that makes a little more sense. And so, and again, singular pronouns. Of the increase of his government and peace, there should be no end on the throne of David. And when Jesus is born into the world, it's all this stuff about the city of David and so on. So um, I'm just intrigued in that. And this verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, on them the light has shined. So verse 1 may be quite opaque with these place names and so on, but verse 2 is emotionally powerful to me. And uh, And check this out. You can see it coming, can't you, good friends? Turn to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Beginning of Matthew. So where we started out was the end of Matthew. Meet me this mountain in Galilee. Right? There you will see him. He's going before you into Galilee. And then they go there, and he gives us this powerful statement about himself and charges them, go tell everybody what I've commanded you and and all that. Look in Matthew chapter 4. And uh, look at how this goes. So you got the Christmas story. John the Baptist comes in chapter 3, verse 2, and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, is telling everybody to repent. Jesus gets baptized. He goes out in the wilderness. He's tempted. And look in verse 12. I mean, we're at the beginning of this gospel. It's just the action. Jesus hasn't even started his ministry yet. What do we get here?
1: Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee.
0: Oh, he went to Galilee. When John, when he heard that John had been cast in prison, he went to Galilee.
1: And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali.
0: Oh, so he left Nazareth, which is kind of within the region of Naphtali, sort of south and west. And he traveled to Capernaum, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. And he lived in Capernaum, which is on that coast, meaning it's on the coast of that, that Sea of Galilee. And where is it again?
1: In the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali.
0: Well, why would he do that? Go on.
1: That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali... By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee
0: of the Gentiles. And what does it say?
1: The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Mm. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned.
0: And when does Jesus' preaching begin? The very next verse. And what does he say?
1: From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.
0: Word for word what John the Baptist said in the previous chapter is ministry starts and the message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what's the very next thing he does? He calls Peter and Andrew, the disciples, follow you, I'll make you fishers of men. And they go on, they call the other brothers and so on. And verse 23.
1: And Jesus went about all Galilee.
0: All Galilee
1: teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people
0: yes and look at let's keep reading here this is good
1: then his fame went throughout all syria
0: now syria was outside you know that that wasn't that's that's a different place his fa- so he's healing all these people in galilee the news goes to syria okay
1: and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them.
0: So he's drawing people out of the surrounding regions. They're, they're not even, it's Galilee of the Gentiles. They're not even, you know, they're not part of Judaism or whatever, you know. And, and they're, they're sick and, and they're, they're uh, you know, demon-possessed and all that. They all come in, go on.
1: Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan.
0: Yes, and Decapolis was around the other side, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, if memory serves, and beyond the Jordan, that whole, you know, like the whole Holy Land is drawn, Jew or Gentile. Everybody's drawn in by what he's doing up there. So, and I noticed that what's the very next thing that he does?
1: And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. Oh,
0: did he go into a mountain? Huh. He went into a mountain and then he taught, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) Mm. Lord is a mighty God. Okay. And what is part of that? Let's look at 5 verse 8.
1: Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God.
0: Oh, well, didn't he say, go to Galilee, because there you will see see me? So what do you have to do to see him? You have to become pure in heart, right? Doesn't that fit? He's on a mountain telling them, hey, to see me, you know, on a mountain in Galilee, giving this teaching, healing people from all around that territory. All right, uh, the great and terrible moment has arrived in which I may have to try to explain some things here. Okay. (laughs) Now, one more scripture I want to read is uh, back in the Old Testament. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. I want to go to Daniel chapter 2. If you can find that. It's actually not too far to the left of Matthew. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this image with a head of gold and the chest of silver and the belly and thighs of bronze, and his legs of iron, and the feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Let's pick up in verse 34, what was this dream that Daniel's telling the king?
1: You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together, And became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain. A what? A great mountain.
0: Oh, the stone that smote the image became a great mountain. How big was it?
1: And filled the whole earth.
0: Oh. Huh. The stone became a great mountain. And filled the whole earth. Hmm. Okay. And then there's prophecies that that relate to the coming Messiah and so on. And uh, I love that phrase in verse 47 of a truth. Your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings, a revealer of secrets and so on. So I hope the Lord reveals some secrets to me tonight. (laughs) Okay. Let's give this a shot. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Hmm. A little bit of a challenge tonight. Okay, just for the 300. Some extras like doing extra push-ups or something. The, um, okay. Uh, Galilee means a circle. That's what it means in the original language. So there's something about Galilee that's about a circle. And uh, in this series, I don't know how to explain it. I have various insane theories that I could try to describe to you. Uh, I don't know if it would do much good. Uh, I've just just for the sake of the record, I'll, I'll try to do, do it quickly and it won't make any sense. But uh, in Matthew, it intrigues me that in Matthew, the disciples are told to go to, Gal- to a mountain in Galilee. In Luke, they're told to stay in Jerusalem. My experience of Matthew, it's just my own personal perspective, is that Matthew is sort of a very masculine gospel. Like, for instance, in the Christmas story, the angel comes to Joseph. Everything's about Joseph in there. Um, Matthew is very much about the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's the salvation is of the Jews. It's all about, hey, this is a fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. This is a fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. It's all about saving Judaism, which is all totally Jerusalem-based. So it's very interesting that in that gospel that I think of as being more about the mind than the heart. They're told to go to a mountain in Galilee of the Gentiles. Like, leave. Okay, enough. Leave this thing and go there and deal with that. You know, so it's outward focus. Whereas Luke is a more feminine gospel to me. The angels come not to Joseph, but to Mary uh, you know, Elizabeth, and there's a big scene with Elizabeth and Mary at the beginning. In uh, Matthew, G- Joseph is the one who names Jesus. In Luke, it's Mary who names Jesus. You know, you know what I mean? It's just, and uh, it seems to me uh, the, the, the woman, uh, you know, he has that amazing conversation. There's, there's a number of conversations with women that take place in Luke. Luke is also not so Holy Land-centric there's a mission to the Greeks, and he goes, you know, it's a broader sort of perspective. So it's interesting that in a broader perspective, he's told to stay in Jerusalem. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's as if to say, in the one that's about the mind, to say, hey, go be with the heart and go help other people outside of yourself. And for the one that's about the heart, it says, hey, stay here and really get with the truth. You know, that's what Jerusalem's all about. I don't know. Just a guess. It's uh, not very fleshed out. But, Now, uh, in this particular series, what is going on that the Lord is going before you? Now, I think that's a key to the whole thing. Uh, I've been bashing my head on this. I've had three weeks, and it's not nearly enough, and uh, trying to figure out what what is going on here, and what sort of clicked in my head just just as I was shoveling food in my mouth at 5.15 in the afternoon was uh, that uh, I'm going before you. He says that, doesn't he? He's going before you into Galilee, and it suddenly clicked into my mind that Swedenborg says a lot that one of the two functions, Jesus was doing two basic things here in this world. He was doing redemption, which is getting the hells and the heavens back in order and making it possible for the human race to be in freedom again and not just be enslaved to hell. But the other part was glorification of his own human manifestation—that that little frail human being who was born into that world. He was glorifying that. You see that in John 17. He says, you know, uh, he says to the Father, "Glorify me," and and the Father says, "I've both glorified you, and I will glorify you again." Kind of thing. The glorification is what was going on as another process. His perfection. He was going through this perfection, and so. I think he that glorification is what he was doing. And Swedenborg says that our analogy to that is not the same, but the analogy is that is what's called our regeneration. Titus 3.5 speaks about the waters of regeneration. Uh, we have to go through this process of rebirth that it talks about in John 3. Uh, so I've gone before you into Galilee. I'm going before you into the struggle, into the wrestling. I'm going before you into that battle to have the spiritual get the upper hand and to release that outer self so it's as free as a deer. So it uses beautiful words, you know. I'm going before you into that struggle. Doesn't Jesus say in in Luke 9, 23 that he says, you know, for those who would, would come after me, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. He was already ahead in that process And we need to follow him going through that wrestling, that Naphtali. That's that's good. I think that's good. And so partly one answer to the question of like, why not just meet us here? Why do we have to go up there? Why do disciples have to go all the way up there to see him? Is that that corresponds to our journey of regeneration and to this wrestling that comes up as a result where that spiritual self Rachel and Leah of the outer self are wrestling. And when Naphtali is born, it's like Rachel has prevailed. And what happens when you prevail is that you get a mountain. You get a mountain of love of God. You get a mountain of love of the neighbor. You get a mountain of compassion in your heart because you've seen the nature of your own outer self and the pathetic condition that human beings, you know, go, you know, things we go through in our lives and everything. You've seen what it is to have that uh, outer self that Ephesians 4.22 says, corrupt according to deceitful lusts. You, you've, you've seen that in yourself because you've been in that wrestling. You've been in Naphtali, and now you've come to a mountain in Galilee. The north of the land generally corresponds to the... Uh, a lack of truth and a longing for truth. Another little detail that I need to throw in here about the meaning of Galilee is that um, Galilee was actually on a very lively trade route from Syria and, and so on. That People would come down there and then come down the coast and go all the way to Egypt and everything. And Jerusalem was like way off the beaten path. It was just sort of an irrelevant sort of old thing where those weird people were and doing their weird thing or something. But but Galilee was a very happening place. From the Jerusalem perspective, Galilee was despised because it was a place where Jews and Gentiles just, you know, went in and out of each other's houses and ate meals together and did stuff you weren't supposed to do. And uh, where you can hardly tell a Roman from a Syrophoenician, from a Greek, from a whatever, you know, uh, uh, And this trade route, all these people just moving through, people of all different kinds. That's what Galilee was. So from a Jerusalem perspective, it was considered kind of an abomination, you know, a despised place. Uh, Isn't that interesting that the Lord would say, meet me in Galilee? You know, and right after saying that, saying that stuff about the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. Zebulun, by the way, is all about the heart and the mind coming together. It's about that sort of internal marriage that needs to take place. And uh, so that takes place after we go through the wrestling meant by Naphtali. Uh, Isn't it it interesting... uh, that that is where we were directed to go, that we would see the Lord there. The pure in heart shall see God. And the way we get pure at heart is by going through those temptations. We don't start out pure at heart. We start out corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and only by going through those temptations and getting boiled out and finally the inner self winning and stuff do we get to that point of love. It's that very mountain, that heart, that is able to see the Lord. You'll see me there. And so an important piece of this, when it's called Galilee of the Gentile, I mean, directly it says that. And Swedenborg, uh, he's busy. He's writing with a quill pen. You know, he gets to be 82 years old at a time when the average life expectancy was 37. He doesn't have bags of time, you know. Uh, So the only thing he ever says about Galilee is, That was where the Gentiles were. He never explains the meaning of the circle. He never says why the Lord says to go there. And there's nothing about it. He's just Gentiles, which we could already know from from Scripture because it says Galilee of the Gentiles. But so when it says that those who sat in darkness have seen a great light, that was the purpose of the Lord's coming into this world. What does it say? The Christmas story. You know, this is good news, which shall be... To all people, look at what he did. He went up to Galilee, and people were drawn in from all over the map. Strangers coming in. Hey, I'm sick. I've got a problem. Don't know if you're familiar. I'll drag something else in here. Um, (laughs) uh, In Luke 16, it talks about Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man is faring sumptuously, and Lazarus is full of sores at his gate. And Swedenborg says that Lazarus means the Gentiles, and that the rich man is the, is the church structure at that time that's rich The purple and fine linen is all its knowledge from Scripture. It knows all the truth, but at that time it is not giving its truth to poor Lazarus, the Gentiles, who are sitting right there having problems. What the Gentiles mean, Swedenborg says, in, in this sense, are people... Who may not know everything about oh, the three heavens and who God is and how the mind works and what scripture is and all, all that kind of stuff. they're good people who are living good lives. Swedenborg differentiates between something he calls, at least bad translations refer to it as the falsities of evil as opposed to falsities not of evil. And so there are false there are f- false ideas, religious ideas that can get in our minds as a, that are twisted by our own love of self or desire to dominate over people or, or, or whatever. And that's falsity to come from evil. But what Galilee means is people who are in falsities that are not of evil, they're just, people don't know. They're living good lives, they're good-hearted people, they're, they're those who sit in darkness. The reason it says they sit in the region in the shadow of death is that Swedenborg says that self-love, just by the nature of who we are and everything, self-love is just so threatening in that situation. It'd be so easy to sort of cave into that that I'm the king of the universe sort of thing. And if you don't have truth to fight that off, you're very prone to that. But they're not giving into that because they have been through struggle. They live in Naphtali. And there's a mountain up there. It's Galilee of the Gentiles. They're people who are living good lives, and what the disciples are supposed to do is they're supposed to take uh, some of this truth and share it up there. You know, sort of channel some of that light up there uh, for those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of of death. That's what the Lord wants to do, and I really think, didn't it say that that stone became a mountain that filled the whole earth? I think the mountain in Galilee, is like the planet. It's like everywhere, all of us, or something. Uh, I think uh, the Lord came to save the whole human race. That was the mountain that drove him. That was the appointed mountain, was the desire, the love for everyone in the human race and the desire to save everyone in the human race. Think about that city of refuge, Kadesh. If you killed somebody, but you didn't mean it, right? It's a pretty dramatic way of putting it. But like it was unintentional, you know? That's where you were supposed to go for refuge. Kedesh actually, I believe, means holiness or righteousness, something like that. And it was up there in the mountains in Galilee, uh, and it was a city of refuge. That was a place that you could go. That's where that battle was won against Sisera, you know? who was trying to dominate. So the Lord was coming, and his purpose was not just, like part of that parable in Luke about Lazarus, was that uh, if you know something, share it with somebody. You know, reach out or something, you know? You don't have to be obnoxious in the airport or whatever, but, but, uh, but figure out a, a way that might be effective to to share it with others. Don't sort of sit on it like a dragon on a treasure. Um, The Lord came into this world and he, so he died. He says, you can't, you know, a prophet can't die outside of Jerusalem. So, you know, that's how it's going to go down. But first chance he gets back to Galilee. When he heard that John was in prison, he headed straight to Galilee, started healing to fulfill what Isaiah said. And everybody's drawn from all over to be healed, all manner of sickness and everything. And he goes up on a mountain and he tells them how it is. He tells them things blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Tells them about the struggle and how to overcome it, what you need. And he is present. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, that presence that the Lord was going to come. So, my friends, if you want to meet the Lord, and occasionally that whim crosses our hearts. Does it not? Sometimes we feel a little yearning at moments of discouragement where we'd like to meet the Lord or see him sometimes. Well, it is very powerful to me that he wants to meet us in the struggle and the victory of that struggle because that is such an essential thing. That's an inward thing. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Uh, It's an inward thing of the inner self of Rachel prevailing over Leah uh, it's about the spiritual self prevailing over the Leah. When Rachel prevails over Leah, then both Rachel and Leah are happy. In fact, Leah is dancing around like a deer. Uh, she's not supposed to be in charge, if you follow my drift with the correspondences. You know, it's when the inner self is in charge, it supports the outer self and enlivens it. So it's it free as a deer. And, and it issues these beautiful words. And I think the Lord wants to meet us on that compassion that comes out of that wrestling. And another meaning of the North is that you don't know nearly as much as you'd like to know. That's what it is. And if you're doing that work, isn't it true that when you're face to face, when you see when you see someone hearing something and going, whoa, unlike this Bible study, they say, that makes so much sense. You know, uh, <laughs> when, you, when you see that, you know, the penny drops, as they say, or something, Uh, When you see that connection being made or someone's face lights up, you know, you're seeing the Lord. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. I'm not wasting time here. You know, like the Lord is everywhere. He's omnipresent. That's what's so ironic about it. But that's where we see him. We see him in that interchange where you're coming. Another thing I want to just throw in here. I've said far too many things already. But the breakfast by the sea in John 21 is so interesting to me because the disciples go fishing and the Lord tells them to fish on the right side of the boat. Hopefully we'll talk about that some next time because that's a great story. But um, uh, if the disciples, these stories can be read many ways, but if the disciples represent people who have been given some truth and the fish, he says, I'll make you fishers of men, if the fish represent people who don't have that truth but desire it. They're living good lives. They have earthly truth, which is what fish corresponds to. They don't have the spiritual truths. Are the disciples there to feed the fish? No, I would submit. The fish are there to feed the disciples. In other words, this exchange is not supposed to be, oh, we have something tremendous. Let us share this with you. Uh, this is about you have something to give me you have a lot of protein from all that swimming you've been doing in your life You've built up this strength uh, You've been doing that wrestling. You've got a mountain of compassion and love in you already I just want you to give a little something so the day breaks and the light comes bursting forth and everything and That will feed me So I mean it's not it's not self-centered, but I'm just saying you can think the equation is sort of a you know like it goes downhill or something, but no, all the proteins coming, coming from the fish, not, not from the disciples. Um, don't know if that makes any sense. And, um, uh, and this is all about the Lord's connection, the nexus that we've been talking about, the connection of the divine and the human. He came here to save the human race. So he wants to get, busy. he's already, like already, he's resurrected what had happened an hour ago or something like that. No, I'm already gone to Galilee, you know, I'll see you, you know, uh, meet me up there because that's where the action is. He wants to be where everybody is, where they bring in all the sick and the demon possessed and the palsied and, the, and the, uh, every, everybody from everywhere and, uh, and get everybody healed. And that corresponds to a spiritual healing that can happen to our minds and hearts in the presence of that love and that truth that the Lord represents. He is that mountain. And that's where, when we see that compassion, when we've been through enough struggle that we're up there, and when we see other people finding that uh, out in Galilee of the Gentiles, that's where he is. That's where we see him. Thank you, friends. Shall we close with a prayer? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, thank you for being the embodiment of that perfect, boundless love. That love that has so much light coming from it. It's inextinguishable, Lord. Thank you for teaching us about who you are. Help us on our journey. Those struggles feel so difficult sometimes. And sometimes it seems like the wrestle within will never end, but we desire to see you. We long for you, Lord. We look for you with our hearts and minds. Help us to recognize you in the people and the situations around us, in the little thoughts and the feelings that you give us, the incremental growth that we go through as we head north to meet you on that mountain in Galilee. Our Father, who art in the heavens, Let's keep on repenting, friends, for the kingdom of God is at hand.